guys warned me about taking the mask off. It wasn't going to be easy, so I think I got it without it falling off my face. Good morning, church family. So good to see you all this morning. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, for those who are visiting this morning, we welcome you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, for those who have been coming for a few weeks now and are thinking of uh, joining us in our starting point class, we look forward to seeing you there. Uh, we look forward to the Lord helping you to decide where you will plant your feet in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Well, as uh, Pastor Zach mentioned, my name is Tony Edwards, and I serve as one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church of Marlboro. Uh, as you've heard this morning, uh, our church family has been going through many difficult trials together over the past uh, few weeks, and really over the past year and a half because of COVID. We've been going through a lot. Um, many difficult trials, um, and more than likely, as we have been going through trials, you've faced various trials and difficulty, difficult situations, that is, in your own personal lives. Uh, last Monday, I had a doctor's appointment <laughs> uh, for a physical examination. Everything went well. Um, once I arrived and checked in at the front desk, one of the nurses on staff uh, called me back to where the examination rooms are um, and asked me or, uh, to step on a scale and uh, she'd take my weight. Uh, then she then uh, asked me to sit down in a chair where she took my temperature and my blood pressure. Just the kind of uh, normal process you go through uh, before the physician comes in to give you the exam. Now, the nurse also asked me a few questions uh, about my medications, if I needed to have them, uh, my prescriptions refilled, those kind of things. Uh, just standard stuff. But then she asked me about, she asked me rather, how things were going, and more specifically, she said to me, uh, are you having or dealing with any stress right now? <laughs> and so I looked up at her and I said, yeah, <laughs> but who isn't? Right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Who, who isn't uh, dealing with stress in their lives uh, right now? Everybody is. Think about that for a moment. Everybody is experiencing some level of stress to some degree or another. And not just stress. Uh, some of us are dealing with depression and anxiety. And our, our ladies had a uh, conference here yesterday talking about anxiety. Others are suffering in a variety of ways. And we, we, uh, we encounter these issues on our jobs, at school, in our homes, amongst our, our families. And as a, as a, uh, a family of, of believers, as Christians, we also share in the hardships and sufferings of our church family. That's what we're called to do, amen? So whether it's sickness or estrangement from a spouse or, an on, or a wayward child or the death of a parent, or a loved one, everyone, everyone suffers in this world that we live in. But we read in the scriptures, the Bible, that we as believers should expect trials and tribulations and suffering because we belong to Christ. And Pastor Zach has been preaching from, uh, the, uh, from the gospel of John, and a couple of scriptures stood out for me as I was preparing uh, the sermon John 16, verse 33, it reads, In this world you will have tribulation. 
Jesus talking to his followers, his disciples. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He also said, uh, John writes to John 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but, ch- but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. But all these things that, that they do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Look, Christians will have tribulation and will suffer persecution in this life. Now, I'm not sure about you know, how the name it and claim it crowd deals with this. But it's in the word of God, amen? All of us will, at some point or another, deal with persecution. The question is, how are you handling suffering and persecution from belonging to Christ? Are you avoiding it? Or are you trusting in, and, uh, as you go through it? Now, I wish I could say, I'm always trusting and never avoiding. But that wouldn't be true. How are we as a church body handling it? It's difficult. It's tough. Well, I believe that our text today, Romans chapter 8, provides a much needed God-centered perspective on trusting God in spite of our suffering and circumstances in life. A perspective that gives us as believers a confident hope. So with that in mind, let us go to the Lord in prayer as we consider the message today entitled, Our Confident, or rather, Our Confident Hope for Salvation. Our Confident Hope for Salvation. Heavenly Father, Father, we come to you. We pray, Father God, through your Holy Spirit that you would guide us as we open your word and study your word today. Father, I pray as your servant that you would use me for your glory And that, Lord, you will touch the hearts of the people who hear today. Father, bless us, grant us with the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we may do your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, if you would please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 18 through verse 30. Romans chapter 8. Verses 18 through 30. If you're using one of our ESV Bibles under the chairs, um, the passage can be found at page uh, 944. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, 
But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, as sons, that is, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What a wonderful, precious text this morning. So, we have two points to our, uh, to our message today. Point or part number one is this. God's plan for revealing our future glory. God's plan for revealing our future glory. We're going to see that in verses 18 through 20. Part two or point two is God's provision for sustaining our future glory. And we'll see that in verses 26 through 30. Now, back to verse 18. Again, it reads this way, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, as we already stated, the believer should expect suffering, not necessarily because of any wrongdoing on our part, but because we belong to Christ. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, we read, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look, let me tell you, if you are expecting things to get better in this world, Based on the ideas and the plans of man, I say to you unequivocally that this will not happen. Not until Christ returns and makes all things new. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, later. This world is not going to get better. That's because man does not have the answers for making it better within himself or herself. But the good news is that the suffering that you and I as believers must endure, as Paul says, is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Amen? And that glory which is to be revealed in us is so remarkably wonderful that all of creation is waiting for that day to come. Verse 19, Paul writes this. Creation then waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Look, does anyone here have a pet? Have pets? Anybody have pets in the house? All right? Now, by pets, I mean a dog. Now, I'm sure that there are some cat lovers here. But the example of waiting with eager longing doesn't apply to cats. Now, we have a dog. 
and his name is Cosmo. Oh, yeah. And when Cosmo hears the garage door go up, he runs out of his pen and goes and stands at the door to see who's going to come in. Or if he's lying on the sofa, he stands on the arm of the sofa, you know, on his front legs, and he, listen, waits with eager longing to see who is about to come in the house. Creation is like that. Creation waits with eager longing for the justified believers in Jesus Christ to become glorified believers. All creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Waiting for the believer's salvation to be fully accomplished. Now, what do I mean when I say the believer's salvation is to be fully accomplished? Well, I'm talking about God taking the believer from grace to glory. He's promised this to take us from grace to glory. For the believer then, the omnipotent, triune God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each member of the Godhead, that is the Trinity, is working in complete unison with one another to bring you and I from grace to glory. The Father chooses who will come to him by faith. We call that election. The Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, redeems us by his sacrificial blood and death on the cross. And because he has shed his blood in our place, we are declared not guilty. Hallelujah. We call this justification. And the Holy Spirit, who is at work right now, sanctifies us, meaning he is conforming us into the image of Christ. We call that sanctification. And all of this to prepare the believer for that day when Christ will appear to bring us home. We call that glorification. So election, justification, sanctification, and glorification. The culmination of each stage is what results in our full salvation. Plus, we have this sure promise from God's word in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful promise from God's word. Look what we have. We also have to remember this, though. As of right now, as of right now, creation is not what God intended it to be. Excuse me. Verse 20 reads this way. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Again, the creation was subjected to futility. Now, subjected indicates that there was an outside agent involved. But it also means that there was a specific time in which the creation was subjected to futility. The word futility means without success or not filling the desired goal or purpose for which it was made. Let me read that to you again. Futility means not fulfilling the desired goal or purpose for which it was made. I want you to keep that definition in mind. Now, the outside agent is, of course, God. And the specific time in which this occurred, we know, because our sister Tara read it um, earlier in Genesis chapter 3 a few moments ago. 
at verses 17 through 19. This is what it says again. And, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Look, the ground, the very earth itself is cursed because of the fall. That means mankind and all creation, plants, birds, animals, the skies, the seas, all of it was subjected to futility. The creation, therefore, is not fulfilling the desired goal or purpose for which God made it. And because our foreparents sinned, we have inherited their sinful nature. We are then at enmity with God unless we are made right with God which is what happens in salvation. Again, this did not happen willingly or on its own, but because of him, that is God, who subjected it, listen, in hope. By God's grace, there is now hope for the redemption of the natural world. Verse 21 reads this way, that the creation itself may be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God's plan for salvation, for future glory as believers, which is our freedom and our liberation from suffering of sin, is intertwined with the freedom or liberation of creation. We read about this, of course, uh, in scriptures such as uh, Revelation chapter 21, which describes the new heavens and, and the new earth. When God defeats Satan and comes to dwell with his people again, with his elect, as we heard in the song this morning. But this is not a New Testament teaching only. It is rooted in what God first revealed to the prophets of the Old Testament. We see this, for example, in scriptures like Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19, which reads, For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad with my people. No more shall it be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Now, we note that Isaiah says in verse 19 again, no more shall be heard in it that in Jerusalem, that is the city of God, the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. This is an echo of what God is about to do as we read in Romans 8.22 where we read this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Do you know that the creation groans? The creation groans. Paul uses childbirth here as a metaphor or a word picture for the type of groaning that the creation is going through. He does so because of the intense, uh, because the intense rather groaning pains that a mother experiences in childbirth that result actually in a positive ending, which is what? The birth of a newborn child. All that she goes through results in something wonderful in the end. 
The whole creation, therefore, has been groaning because it is also expecting something new, a new heavens and a new earth. Now, how will this come about, you might ask? Well, that's a great question, and that's your homework assignment. <laughs> you can find it in 2 Peter chapter 3. I would suggest you look there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. We don't have a chance to go through that today, but that's a great passage to look at. But creation is, the only, is not the only thing that's groaning. The believer groans too. At verse 23 we read, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the, of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So as believers, we have received the Holy Spirit as a first fruit, meaning uh, as a deposit of, a full, of the fullness of our salvation, which is yet to come. Now, the, uh, the idea that is behind first fruits in the Old Testament was that a portion of the best part of the harvest was taken and given to God, trusting that God would provide and bless his people with the fullness of the harvest, which was to come. Now, although we have the indwelling spirit, we still groan inwardly, being aware of our own sins and how those sins grieve God, ourselves, and others. And so we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. Look, I, I don't know about you, but I look forward to receiving the glorified, resurrected body. A body that is not susceptible to death, decay, and disease. This, is, this, this again points to our full inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of God. As I like to, as I like to say, you know, these bodies that we currently have, they're not made for everlasting. They simply aren't. And regardless of how much we spend, how much time that is we spend at the gym or on body sprays or uh, how much we spend on makeup at the mat counter, it doesn't, it's, it, in, in the end, it doesn't make a difference. I don't have anything against these things, but all of it, each of them, will fail. We can't place our hope in them. Where can we place our hope then? Only in the promises of God. Only in his word. Because his word, just like he, him rather, is faithful. God is faithful and his word is faithful. We read in verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Look, even though our salvation is not yet realized, we live in the hope of its coming by faith. Amen? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us hope and sustains our hope. And because of the Spirit of Christ, we wait for our redemption with patience. And this brings us to our second point, part two our second point. God's provision for sustaining our future glory. We're going to see this at verses 26 through 30. The creation groans as believers groan and the Holy Spirit groans. Let's say it again. The creation groans, we as believers groan, and the Holy Spirit groans. At verse 26 we read this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know uh, what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look, the Spirit's groaning is in accord with God's perfect will. We may not know what to ask of God when we pray, but the Holy Spirit does. So just as Jesus intercedes for us before the Father, which we read about in Hebrews chapter 7 and John 17, verse 20 and following, the Holy Spirit also intercedes when we pray and when we take it to the Lord in prayer. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Look, God is working all things together. The good, the bad, the happy, and the sad. All things and circumstances that come into your life as a believer will be sovereignly used by God for your good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there will be suffering and pain, perhaps the loss of a loved one in your immediate family or in our church family or a personal friend or, or, or maybe a coworker. Yes, this will happen. But you also will experience things like the birth of a brand new baby, which we have a lot of now in our congregation. <laughs> Who experience wonderful things as well. You may become a grandpa or a nana for the first time. Or maybe you'll become a grand aunt or a grand, grand uncle like Pam and Phil Jensen have just become. God is working it all together for good. Even when we don't understand it all. This is God's providence. This is God at work in our lives. The God who loves you and the God who has saved you is ensuring that all things work together for good to those whom he calls. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen, God from eternity past Foreknew, meaning he can foresee the faith of every person who comes to him. And he has predestined the one who believes in him to be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to predestine is to direct someone to meet a specific goal or purpose. Note that this is the direct opposite of futility. Have you ever thought or asked yourself, what's God's purpose for me? Or, or, or what does God want, want me to do? What, what, what does God have in store for my life? Well, I want you to know that, that the answer to that very question is right here in verse 29. Again, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You know, God's purpose and goal for you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is that you would be conformed to the image, to the likeness, to the very character of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful starting point. And if you do that, if you, if you trust God for that, he'll direct your path in all other ways. But his goal for you 
and for me, for each of us, is to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. Scripture goes on to read this way. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed again to the image of Christ. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now the term firstborn here relates to Jesus being preeminent among all those who would be raised to new life through faith in his death and resurrection. And this so that a full harvest of believers, a full harvest of brothers and sisters would come in by grace through faith. Jesus was raised. And in verse 30 we read, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Look, God will take his elect from grace to glory. The justified believer who has answered God's call has the confident hope of experiencing God's complete and final salvation because of the love of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God may be calling you today. He gives each of us the opportunity, even now, to respond to the call of the gospel message. I implore you then, come. Come, give your life to Christ today. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful promises. We thank you for the hope for our salvation. We thank you that you are working it out right now. And we bless your holy name. We pray, Lord, that there was someone whose heart will be drawn to you. We pray that each of us would seek to be conformed to the likeness of your son. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.